from the fabulous and famous Fitzpatrick's Castle Hotel in Dublin, Ireland. You're listening to the award-winning What's the Story podcast. Now, here's your hosts, Danny Murray and Graham Merrow Merrigan. Hello and welcome on to Chapter 37 of What's the Story podcast. My partner in crime is alongside me, Graham Merrow Merrigan. Hi Danny, I'm sick. Really? Yeah. You don't look sick to me. <laughs> I feel great now, but I was sick. Yeah, that's all right. And I'm Danny Murray. He's Graham Merrill American. This is what's the story podcast. We've had to drag him out of a sick bed, um, <laughs> as you might have guessed there, but uh, he's made it this far. Um, we are brought to you in association with Fitzpatrick's Castle Hotel, www.fitzpatrickscastle.com, the beautiful South Dublin. Cloyney, some of the best views in the world, some of the best food in the world, some of the best points in the world, some of the best everything in the world, right here on the doorstep of the border. Bring the family, bring a friend. Great spot. Tell them we told you to come here. Absolutely, yeah. Graham. Yes. You've, you've been sick. Yeah, I had terrible. I was close to death with the flu. Well, I had a sore throat and I had a t- torrid head cold. So you had the man flu? No, this is worse than man flu. I thought Hang I was going to die. There's nothing worse than man flu. What are you talking about? This is worse, sir. Couldn't have been. Man flu is being known to kill. Well, um, I came back on Saturday, last Saturday. Um, from where? From Cork, p- playing a match with the Bulls. We lost by four points. Lucky one. Yeah, and it's a long drive home when you lose, but that drive home from Cork is boring. But thankfully, I have our friends from those conspiracy guys, and I listened to their episode on Kurt Cobain which I'd strongly advise to listen to for Kurt Cobain fans or music fans it was very interesting yeah shout out to the lads I gave them a tweet during the week Um, but we haven't been travelling all over the country with the Bulls those lads are great to listen to because their episodes are always two and a half hours long at least good road trip sort of stuff very good road trip on your own as well if you're not listening to What's the Story of course um, so I got home that night and I just felt, uh, just I felt the headache and the head cold part of it starting. Then yeah. I woke up Sunday morning and my throat was gone. Yeah. Killing me. And from Sunday, then you attempted to pick me up for the recording of our Mr. McWilliams. Yeah, I guess this week was um, Dave McWilliams, as you all know. And Graham was too ill to attend. Yeah. So it's just me and... Uh, Dave McWilliams on the the interview, but uh, I was grey when you see me. Yeah, I drove over to pick you up because you were going to try a manfully do, but you were only fit for the bed. Yeah, you were only fit for the bed. Um, if you don't mind me saying so, you looked horrendous. Thanks. Man. <laughs> <laughs> I did. My mum was like, "Geez, you're very grey." I was like, "Oh no." For yeah. the second, I thought I was looking at you through a black and white TV or something. You, just <laughs> <laughs> you look like a dog toffee man. You just. <laughs> Told you I was on dead star. Well, well, I believe you. I believe you. I t- there were so many uh, things at the end of my bed, like uh, Exputex and another Benelin and st- strep- Strepsils, actually. You might as well be eating fucking wine gums. They're, they're now good to you at all, man. It's like eating Frosties. Yeah. <laughs> I might as well have been eating Frosties. Tyrosets. That's what you want. Yeah, I'll know for future. They're, they're like getting a local anesthetic to your throat. But I usually have the immune system of a rhino. I never get all this crap. Well, memory used to slack you. I do, yeah. I got man flu twice in the space of six months, and Graham's writing me off. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
know, yeah, I don't know. But, but um, I feel great now, though. So you're, you're back, you're back, back. to it anyway. Back at it. And you went to the doctor? You no, had, you I had went to the doctor. Did you not? No. Oh, okay. I had, I had Monday off, and then I took Tuesday, Wednesday, sick off work. Right. Then I was off towards the end today, today being Friday. Okay. Are we allowed to say today's Friday? I just did. Yeah, yeah, well, today is Friday, yeah. as we're recording this. As we're recording. Uh, coincidentally, Sunday is when this will go live. Yeah. <laughs> Sunday the 20th of March, which is also uh, World Happiness Day. Is it? It is, yeah. Today so was World Sleep Day. It's a coincidence them too. After Paddy's Day. <laughs> Jeez, that's mad, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Razor didn't get to go out because I was still feeling a bit poorly yesterday. Paddy's yeah. Day is the best day of the year and I didn't even get to have a point. Yeah, I thought you were ordered to the bed by on Doc Tour or something. I thought you'd... No. no? All right, my bad. Um, what was I going to say there about the whole happiness? Oh, yeah, the whole happiness thing. Yeah. Just on, uh, on a brief aside, if you will. Yeah. Um, the whole World Happiness Day thing, they're encouraging people to give hugs, right? Right. But the average hug is what, maybe two seconds or so? Yeah. Two, three seconds. After that, you start to feel a little bit kind of... <laughs> Uncomfortable. This is getting a bit clingy now, <laughs> isn't it? Um, apparently, in order for your body and your brain to react to the uh, the whole hug situation and the feeling of embracing people, uh, you need it to be 7.2 seconds. Really? So it's not good hugging somebody unless you mean it. You know I mean? met my granny today in the shops and I gave her a good... 10 second hug and did you feel better after yeah uh, that's the oxytocin she, yeah she did yeah. the two of us felt great for it there you go because so we go, didn't so. expect to see each other and see where my granny Linda yeah so try it if you're going to give somebody a hug right rather than just the brief encounter you'd normally do give them a good squeeze you know she was mean? she was praising um, Super Value Kleine for uh, being able to pay her bills there because right. she's sick of giving them where the previous place where she pays the bills 50 cent for just using their service all right super value allow you to do it for nothing so she was so you're giving lo- you're giving, loving life you're giving free plugs in this podcast now are you? yeah sorry we need a business meeting so <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah so there you go um world happiness day sunday 20th march um so you were sick with the man flu you missed um what i have to say was a brilliant chat with david williams oh, uh, stop uh, it I have to say, right? Trying to get him for ages and them. Yeah, it was unfortunate you got sick. Yeah. Um, These things happen, though. Do you do? And I have to say, he was an absolute pleasure. An absolute gent. Um, and I'm not saying that just to kind of fluff everything up before people hear me speak yeah. to him, but, like, really, really enjoyed the hours I was chatting to him. Absolute gent. Wealth of knowledge. Incredible brain. Um, he's always one of those... Guy, like. He's always, like... Over the years, when you're watching the, like me and you are big into current affairs and politics and stuff like that, and wouldn't say big into it, but like I, I pay attention. To yeah, it. we pay attention. I'd be big into it anyway. I, I would consider. Um, and over the years, you'd be watching economists, and they were just kind of going. They just they were they weren't talking in on a human level as I far say, as I can. My, my biggest problem with them is that. I've never been able to understand it. It's yeah. being put into kind of layman's terms or whatever. Exactly. Whereas David's the opposite to that, I feel. I need to, he's the one that I would like, oh, him. Yeah. I'd be able to listen to him. Uh, like we I'd talk, be able to get what he's on about. Yeah, we talk a little bit about that and kind of some of the phrases he coined, like, you know, Breakfast Roll Man and Ghost Estates Ghost and States, Deckland yeah. and all that kind of thing. Like, he talks a little bit about that. Great, great, great chat. Yeah. Um, so that'll be coming up shortly. Um, but before we talk about that, speaking of news and politics and whatnot, Trump Watch. Donald Trump. Yeah, he's and he's on his way to the to the big election. 
I hope he do, if he gets it, it'll be ridiculous. Yeah, he's going to. For he's after taking the winner take all states and all like. No, but I, I mean, he can get. He will obviously get the candidacy. But if he becomes president, if he beats, oh, that'll just be crazy. And I'm thinking back to when George W. Bush uh, ran for presidency, and the same fears and the same worries were had on his lead up. I think the the fears and worries are a bit more oh, they're severe. Now. They're more severe now, but. They were still lingering there that uh, George W. Bush won't be president, but he's president fucking twice. Yeah. Like, Donald Trump has, like, it's crazy to think he's getting so much support. And the the venom in some of his supporters is crazy, man. Can he be held responsible for the supporters? Um. Yeah. So I can, think some of oh, us... Okay, but to, to put a flip side on that, and to play devil's advocate... Can Manchester United or Liverpool be responsible for the supporters who are singing disgust and chants in their Europa League games? No. So how can them supporters... Because because their support Trump supporters are getting rallied by him at his um, speeches and, and where he speaks at. And if you listen to the language and how he speaks, mm. he's not telling us that his supporters are wrong. Liverpool or Manchester United directors or press officers or whatever will come out and they'll say... We'll se- we separate ourselves from that and they'll be found and they'll be fined and they'll be banned from the club or whatever right. so forth um, but with Trump he's he's basically saying you leave my supporters alone and if his supporters were to get arrested he's saying that he'll bail them all out from prison and, and stuff like know, that he seems to have taken a bit of a soft line the last couple of weeks so has he not kind of you know what I mean saying like oh yeah, what, I, what I meant by that was I would love to hit that guy if that guy tried to hit me or when he was talking about saying how he wanted to punch a protester or something like that. Mm. He's kind of, I think he's kind of, and he's disassociated himself certainly from that dude who gave a Nazi salute at his, uh, at his rally and all that. Like, yeah. I mean, I do think he, he has took a softer approach. He certainly isn't building walls as much as he was or saying he's going to build a wall as much. I don't know, man. I'm, I'm you not sure. are, you're not warming to him, are you? I'm not sure you can, um, you can hold I'm not sure him. it's a fair, um, uh, the Man United and Liverpool fan uh, analogy you use, I'm, I'm not sure if that's fair. Well, I'm just saying, and if you're going to say somebody somebody is responsible for their supporters, how far down the line does that go is the point I'm trying to make. Like, mm. You know what I mean? Graham, speaking of Trump watch, yes, our friends over at Pod Squad, okay. another, another great Irish podcast, have asked us to do uh, a little top five for them. Um, okay. Every week on their podcast, they do a top five, um, and this week they've asked us to get involved. So first and foremost, lads, you can check them out at Pod Squad P O D S K W O D. Um, I see what they've done there. Yeah. Well done, lads. Um, very funny podcast. Great listen. I love Irish podcasts, man. I'm starting. To, I'm starting to notice that there's more and more of us out there. Yeah, there's more popping up all the time. It's great. Um, but the, the two boys over at Pod Squad have asked us to get involved this week. And give us um, a top five of fictional characters that we think would make better presidents than Donald Trump. Right? You with me? Yeah. So, we had a little chat about this. I've come up with our own independent lists. So, let's go toe-to-toe here. Do you want to go first or will I? We go like f- our fifth, five to yeah, one. We'll go and f- then you go, you give me five, I'll go five, you go four, I'll go four. Well, here, you, you give me your number five first. My number five is Coach Taylor from Friday Night Lights. Coach Taylor from Friday Night Lights? I've never watched Friday Night Lights, so... Now, when I thought about, when I thought about this, yeah. 
I needed a, a mixture in my top five. Coach Taylor is your quintessential American. Right. Um, firstly, on Disgusted, you said you've never watched Friday Night Lights because it's one of the best box sets out there. It's on Netflix. Watch it. Okay. Um, it's just a, a town in, in, oh God, I think it's Texas. <laughs> Probably. And they're obsessed with college football. And Coach Taylor and his wife, his, his luscious wife, Mrs. Taylor. Right. Um, they move to town. They take over the team. And the team brings success. And it's a great show. Um, but he is the quintessential American. The American dream, so to speak. And he would be way better than Donald Trump. All right. Well, my number five, I have come with another quintessential American. John McClane of Die Hard. Oh, that's very good. Let's let's be honest about this. That man has been in some of the most unfortunate circumstances <laughs> yes. bestowed upon anybody ever. But when has he not came out, Trumps? When has he not came up Ew. on top? Yeah, see what I've done there? <laughs> when has he not came out on top? Never. He is nothing. You, you can't he's cool be, as, oh, as well. Yippee ki Yeah, you he's unbelievable. Ho, ho. Oh. And the vest. Now, would he I wear the vest in the presidency? Of course he would. He'd go around in brown trousers, bloodstained feet, barefoot, and a white vest. Of <laughs> course he would. Asking all the people that work in the White House, what, no turkey? <laughs> Amazing, man. John McLean for president. And then when he's in World Wars, he'll get all the army to say, you'd be a guy, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Blow them to schmidt Absolutely, yeah. And just go around chasing Jeremy Irons all the time. <laughs> which, which would be our favourite I had? Oh, I love with a vengeance. I love the yeah, with a vengeance. With a vengeance. It's either I Die actually Hard. love them all. To be honest, I enjoy well, them all. To be honest, right? Die Hard one, two, and three. I think, and Die Hard four and five are a little bit. No, on, but like now, they're lads. all of them. If you just take off your your like, uh, you're scratching your beard nits again. Sorry, <laughs> can you hear that through the mic? <laughs> sorry, listeners. Um, my beard was itchy there. Um, if you just take off your serious head for a moment and watch, and just want to watch anything. Yeah. And not think too deep into the movie. Um, I think all the Die Hards are great. I love them all. Yeah, I'd, if I had to go in order, I would say Die Hard 1, Die Hard 3, Die Hard 2. Die Hard 1's the Christmas one, isn't it? Uh, yes. Die Hard. Nakatomi Plaza. That, that's the best. Die Hard 1. It's the best Christmas film ever. It is. It's a great Christmas film. Die Hard 3, Die Hard 2, Die Hard 4, Die Hard 5. That's how I'd do it. Anyway, my number four then. Right. <coughs> Mr. McMahon of WWE, WWF Attitude Era. Brilliant. What, what could that man not do? It would be worth it alone just to hear that you're fired to <laughs> any civil servant or any. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Plus, can you imagine him? Can you imagine him going into a UN sort of meeting or, or like. Would he have the music? And the power stroke. Do you know what I mean? Just strutting into the room, Vinnie Mac style. <laughs> Danny, Mr. Danny's down the strut now as he speaks. Yeah, yeah, I'm in his chair. Mr. McMahon of WWF is my number four. A, that's a good one. Gives you your number um, four there. My number four is Polly Walnuts from The Sopranos. Oh, good one. Yeah, I love Polly. That's a good one. Why? Why would you put Polly in power? I don't know. I just think. Uh, I just think. Imagine the character Polly Walnuts in The West Wing, and he'd be great. That is. That's a fair point. You know that. Cool story, bro. Do you know what it needs? Well, More dragons. Yeah. My, my number three would be Khaleesi, Daenerys Targaryen from Game of Thrones. Oh, Lord. <laughs> yeah. 
built. Filth. Um, see, besides, what see what you're doing there. Besides the fact that she'd probably walk around half naked, which we all approve of. Let's be honest, what world is it? Right, okay, the whole conflict in Syria slash the tension between America and Russia at times and all that. What's Putin going to say to a couple of dragons? Exactly. I mean, he's going, to go, oh, no, look, Mrs. President. And then he's going to see dragons and he's going to be like, oh, take it back. Everything's cool. Yeah, you get you get what you want. Exactly. My so, number three. Daenerys Targaryen, number three for me. Is the people's champion, The Rock. Oh, so we each have uh, a wrestling. Yeah. We each have a wrestling one. The Rock. Yeah, the Rock. In fairness, there's not a lot that man can do. Because the whole of America would get behind him. They love him. The whole of the world would. The whole, exactly. He'd be, he's the, he'd be the world leader. Can you imagine him doing a, a, a State of the Nation address from the Oval Office? <laughs> if you smell. <laughs> in his best. Yeah. Showing off his tattoos oh, and eating man. his pancakes and bringing his French puppy away and all. Yeah. Brilliant. He's a great guy. What's his puppy's name again? What's his character from Fast and Furious? Um, Hobbs. 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 Yeah. 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 Right. That's so. Um, oh, yeah. we're, in, we're into the business The end. Rocks. Yeah, The Rocks. Definitely, I think the people will love him. He's the people's champion, so that's true. That's true. Um, WrestleMania would definitely get more viewers anyway. Yeah. Um, oh, we're into the business end here. My, my number two. two, somewhat controversial to some, but I would go with Francis Underwood from House of Cards. Oh, he's already a president. Fictional. So why not give him the real job? Like, yeah, he's cold, isn't he? Oh, he's he's a killer. Stone yeah. Cold Killer, I love him. I'm not having finished season four of... Uh, oh, I won't give any spoilers. Uh, it was a cards yet, but... We won't give any spoilers in case any of the lads listening to the pod squad haven't. But uh, Frank Underwood. Ooh. Yeah. What a man. What a man. Well, you're gone from, for a number, very serious number two. Yeah. I'm gone for a also very serious number two. Yeah. Father Dougal Maguire from Father Ted. Great show. <laughs> yeah. Imagine Dougal as the president. Oh, um, Saudi Arabia, where are they? Um, Small or far away? <laughs> he would be a brilliant American president. He would the be. Americans would not know how to deal with Father Dougal McGuire. I don't think Father Dougal McGuire would know how to deal with Americans. <laughs> no, he, wouldn't. he wouldn't know how to deal with the White House. No, can you imagine? Moving from, from Craggy Island to the White House. Jesus, yeah, the bright lights of Craggy Island to the even brighter lights of Washington, D.C. <laughs> Classic. Okay. <clears throat> oh, you have to admit, my number one, I have somewhat gone nerdy, and I have somewhat gone a little bit, pay- maybe to some people this will be unknown, but I'm giving you the full ticket here. I'm not just giving you the president. I'm going to give you the vice president and the first lady as well. My number one, from the HBO series The Newsroom, be Will McAvoy. He's a registered Republican. So the Republicans could easily shift him in ahead of Trump. You know what I mean? His VP will be Charlie Skinner. And so you're picking two people there, yeah? And the, No, Charlie Skinner for vice oh, president. Okay. And the first lady there, Mackenzie McHale. Well, then Ted Curley would be my vice president to do for, <laughs> That's fair, yeah, because I don't think Father Jack would make a good vice president. No. <laughs> so my, my number one, Will McAvoy from the newsroom. Sorry, and if you yeah. haven't watched the newsroom, get out there and watch it. It's a fantastic he does, show. Uh, he does kind of... He has the presence of a president. He's brilliant. Mm. He's amazing. My number one is gone to um, another Irish person. My number one. Mad for the Irish Americans. My D- number diaspora. One, uh, d- yeah, my number one is gorgeous red hair. Um, Podger Raj. She was. <laughs> she, she. Oh, sorry. She always uh, wears gorgeous hoop earrings. She looks sensational. Dublin girl all the time 
She's from Carrickstown. She's ah, Neve Brennan's fair, fair, fair city's Neve Brennan. Ah, get out! What? Fair city's Neve Brennan. Fair city's Neve. Is this she, just because you 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 were on Fair City? Was it? Was I on Fair City? I think there was a time you. Oh yeah, remember I was on, on Fair City. You were on Fair City yeah. back then. I would have loved my character to have a have a love interest with Neve Brennan. Is that why? Because you think she's gorgeous. She's stunning. She's yeah, she's my favorite soap star to look at. Yeah, so she's always m- like I do a power ranking sometimes on Twitter. Fair City power rankings. Okay. After right. a Fair City, after I finish watching a Fair City episode, right? Yeah. And funny enough, she's five, four, three, two, and one. That's that's impressive. She's on the list. And the pl- person that plays me, Brennan, you didn't re- say power. retweets me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> retweets my power rankings. Hang on. So, so I'm giving her. So Pod Squad wanna uh, tweet. Uh, Neve Brennan or the actress that plays Neve Brennan Clea Murphy um, she'll probably retweet us lads and just to confirm you did say power rankings with an R power rankings with with an R with an R okay just the way you're describing Don't her there board. I just wanted to make sure she would be the best US president she'd be better than Hillary controversial no I said it <laughs> so there you go that's a uh, so go quickly go through your t- your five again. Yeah, so the top five for uh, myself, Danny Murray, would be uh, John McLean, Mister McMahon from the WWF Attitude Era, uh, Khaleesi from Game of Thrones, Frank Underwood from House of Cards, and Will McAvoy from the Newsroom. And my top five. Graham Erdogan's top five presidential people. President presidents that would be better than Donald Trump. Number five would be Coach Taylor from Friday Night Lights. Number four would be Polly Walnuts from The Sopranos. Number three would be The People's Champion, The Rock. Number two would be Fagger, Father Dougal Maguire from Father Ted. And number one would be First City's Neve Brennan. I'd love to know who's top five would be better. Mine. Okay. Obviously. All right. Because I've Neve Brennan the hoops. The Hoopy hoops. earrings are sensational. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. They're better than the dragons. Get out as, of As a Get fashion accessory. Get out of that. Right, look. <laughs> There you go. That's our top fives. Uh, thanks, lads. Big thanks to the lads at Pod Squad. Um, check them out. I hope you enjoy it, lads. Um, and look, um, their top five sections are absolutely brilliant. Go back and listen to some of their other ones. You'll get a good chuckle out of them, at least. But uh, that's our top five fictional characters that would make a better president than Donald Trump. SeaWorld mm-hmm. um, have announced that they're going to uh, phase out their um, orca breeding program. Yeah. No more orcas in captivity. And if you've watched... Black Blackfish. If you've watched Blackfish, you'll see that this is a great victory for it. It is. Blackfish is a harrowing documentary. A lot of people, uh, Steve-O from MTV was campaigning hugely to have this campaign closed. Yeah. He was getting on big billboards in America and all. And yeah, I think you might have been the one to tell me to watch Blackfish, actually. It's very emotional. Um, it's just that scene alone where they're taking babies away from the mother out in the wild, like... It's just like so. What happens? We know that the the breeding program has stopped. But what happens yeah. to the current orcas that are there? Well, are they going to be left free? But they don't know any other. No, I was going to say. I, life. I, I don't think they are going to be left free. Um, I think I could be wrong. I'm I'm saying this without haven't fully looked into it. But I think essentially the ones that are in captivity will stay in captivity. They're going to phase out the breeding program. So in other words, there, there, there won't be any more born in captivity, and they're going to phase out the shows that I have orcas in it so they won't be using killer whales in their live shows anymore so i presume it's kind of like once these ones are finished 
they're finished. Hmm. They won't be releasing back into the wild because they wouldn't survive, I think. Is the pressure from the public? 100%. Their profits have dropped by yeah. like 85% or something. That's great because a lot of people, a lot of naysayers will say, oh, public, public protest doesn't work or anything like that. Well, I, Cause, I think... Because public protest has worked with SeaWorld and even closer to home, public protest um, has worked with Moore Street. Yeah. Because the people that, I'm fair play to them from my point of view, um, got out in their numbers at, to save Moore Street because the government mm-hmm. wanted to knock it down a certain part of Moore Street yeah. and rebuild it, to give it to a developer and, and have a shopping centre there. Ridiculous. The people in Moore Street said no and they want it today. So, f- yeah. you know, protest does work. Essentially the storyline of the Mrs. Brown boys film. Yeah. <laughs> More or less. Like, More or less. Fair play, Brandon O'Carroll, but he's a great advocate in that area as well. Yeah, in fairness yeah. To him. he helped a lot with them as well. Well, now Mrs. Brown's boys can be marmite to some people. Personally speaking, I love it. Yeah, um, I like it. But oh, f- not like it. In fairness to that man, he does a lot for charities and that the people don't give him credit for, and I think that has to be commended. Um, but on the Sea World thing, yeah, no, I, I'd agree with you completely. The uh, the 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 public pressure and certainly the public opinion from black black look, this wouldn't have happened without Blackfish. The documentary, mm. it wouldn't have. And the fact that that documentary was able to shine a light on the darkest corners of Sea World and the public had like it's on netflix now that documentary so it's readily available it's on youtube if you haven't seen it watch it look i'm not gonna lie it it is tough at times to watch it is a bit harrowing it is especially if you're in any sort of person who loves animals and that kind of thing it it is it'll pull on the heartstrings but you won't go to sea world after watching it Unless you have I've never been to SeaWorld. I've been to Florida twice. I'd be in twice. I'd, I'd gone to SeaWorld twice in me days as a nipper. Of course, we had no idea that this was the kind of thing that went on. Like, Yeah. Uh, and people just, probably didn't have an idea. I don't know. Well, I, I don't believe they did. Like, Because, I mean, like when we went, and we went to the, the shows with the orcas and like Shamu, and I got splashed in the splash zone, and <laughs> you know what I mean? All that stuff when I was eight years old, and I was loving life and thinking, this is amazing, oh my God, I'd... I'd love to swim with dolphins and be a trainer of one of these and all that. Like, and then, you know, basically twenty years later, here I am after watching Blackfish going, good no, just no, no like, Um, and I, d- I don't think my parents knew either. Like, yeah, you know, I don't think, I don't think people knew because you'll see during the documentary. I'm not saying there's a cover up, but there's certainly an attempt. It seems to conceal a lot of the stuff that Big went time. on. I'd say there probably was a cover-up, though, as well. Yeah, I think to an extent, I just don't conscious of legal parameters. <laughs> <laughs> I was only joking. Um, so, I <laughs> so I don't know. Like, But, yeah, I would say they were conservative about releasing 100% of the information they have at disposal. Is that a political way of putting that? That's a political way of putting it. Brilliant. Um, so you were happy about SeaWorld, and I'm happy about SeaWorld. Yeah, I still probably wouldn't go, but... No, I don't think I would, no. It'd be interesting to see if SeaWorld can survive this. Mm. Like, as a theme park, without the attraction of, you know... That was their, one of their... That was one, their number that was, one. That was their... Yeah. Shamu. That was their Shamu, big thing. Yeah, like. there's no way. Um, like, I know they've got flamingos and dolphins and shit, but let's be honest, like... <laughs> you can go up to uh, Bush Park, is it? Yeah, Bush, Bush Wildlife Park, yeah. Uh, is that what it's called? I think so, yeah. B.U. Yeah, I, I don't know not, why. Not, I not, I don't know not why Bushy I, Park and Rafael. Yeah, yeah, I don't know why I tried to spell it. Karen or whatever it is. Oh, Bushy. I think we played a football match up there once. I can't remember. 
anyway. You probably did. Loads of peaches up there. Yeah. Uh, down with you sea won't world. see flamingos up there, though. No, you won't. No, you will not. Um, <coughs> so anyway, down with SeaWorld, essentially, is what's come with that. Um, the time for our guest? It is. That I missed. Yeah. Um, yeah Better I, done a good job. I, I think I did. <laughs> um, I really enjoyed it. And I have to say, he was he was an absolute pleasure and an absolute gent. It was a lot more civilised than the discussion you and I just had. <laughs> <laughs> Um, he, he's he's an absolute top bloke. He was a pleasure to deal with, um, and he made some really, really, really good points. And uh, I think everybody will agree, or at least kind of go, you know what? I hadn't thought of that. So, Dave McWilliams, What's the Story podcast. Enjoy. We've been joined this week by a broadcaster, author, economist. And um, almost celebrity status everywhere at this stage. <laughs> uh, the one and only David McWilliams. David, thanks for your time. Danny, first not and at foremost. all. It's a pleasure to be here. How are you? I'm brilliant, thank you. Uh, you're just back from a little jaunt off to the sunny side of the well, world. Well, I tell you, if you can get these gigs, it's better than a real job. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I was doing an event, doing a few speeches in yeah. Trinidad, home of uh, Calypso. Amazing place, little island, quite a big island actually. Just I thought it was it's in the Caribbean, but it's so far to the south, it's just off the north of Venezuela. Okay, and it's an extraordinary place, extraordinary mm. place. Dwight York, home for Dwight York as well. But it's it's a it's it's really good. And I was kind of pinching myself as I was flying over across the Atlantic in business class, <laughs> reclining back, having a glass of red, saying somebody's paying me. To go you, to the Caribbean, you make it sound like days. hard work now. Yeah, you know? Know, it's great. It is good, and um, and yeah, it was good. It was good. And we then I went to Barbados, which which is again really interesting, and just flew back last night. So it's a bit wrecked, but it's fantastic, yeah. you know. And it's uh, it's funny when you when you when you write about economics and global economics, and you get the chance to travel. It's yeah. fantastic because it gives you more stories and more angles and more comparisons. Absolutely, and, and, you know. And also, when you go to Trinidad, you really think mm, Ireland isn't such a bad place, you know. When you're told by people, no, don't go out. I said, why? He said, because you're a bit too white and maybe, you know, you might get stabbed. Yeah, really? Yeah. Well, that was the sort of thing in the hotel. But the interesting, it's like everything. So the hotel has this paranoid view of the world. Yeah. Then you meet the locals and they'd say, nobody's going to touch you. Yeah, yeah. going to touch you. Actually, I'll fact you. You're just one of the, one of the other whiteies that <laughs> knocks around the place, so it's fine. Yes. It's great fun, though. Great that's, fun. That's cool. It's, it's mad you're saying I only got back last night and then this morning I went onto your website and seen an article up straight away. So oh, yeah, yeah. That, that's, but it's, that's I mean, efficient. I suppose the thing is, Danny, like if you write for a living, you can really do it from wherever you are. And it's a, it's, it's, it's a fantastic luxury to be able to go to somewhere like Trinidad and then bash out an article yeah. And then it's published in Ireland and then it's up on the website the day after. And uh, I mean, that's the joy of writing. You know, a lot of people say to me, you know, well, you know, would you would do you not get bored of it or whatever, writing so much? And no, never. I, I love yeah. it. And it's because you can write. I might even write about this next time. You'll be featuring <laughs> in the Sunday Business Post. We won't say no. We won't <laughs> say no. Um, it was a very interesting article as well because you managed to kind of intertwine a bit of history with everything as well. You're talking about the red legs and that kind yeah. of thing, which is fascinating. In it itself, is fascinating, like. isn't it? Well, it's it's uh, and again, it's funny where uh, economists get their ideas. The uh, the idea for that article I got from my daughter, who said, "You're going to where?" And I said, "The Caribbean." I said, "Trinidad and Barbados." She was Barbados. That's where Rihanna's from. And then she said to me, and she's uh, 15. She said, "We read somewhere that Rihanna." was Irish. I said, no, she's not. She's black. She's, you know, whatever. Yeah. She's Caribbean. And then I Googled it and it was true that her father 
was mixed race, half white, right. half half uh, black. And the whiteies, the poor whites in Barbados were called the red legs. Yeah. And they are actually the descendant of Irish servants, Irish indentured servants who were sold by Irish people during the Cromwellian Wars. 40,000 of them were sold into what was kind of slavery. They had to be um, with the one master for, I think, five years, and then they were freed. But the interesting thing is they remained quite distinct from the white population who were quite wealthy. And they ended up somewhere between the black slaves and the white aristocrats were these red legs. And they lived over in the very east of Barbados, which is not the sunny side. It's not the posh side. It's really barren. The winds are extraordinary. The waves are huge. And it's kind of big cliffs right down to the sea. And I decided what I always do when I'm traveling is I try to go and find odd things. So I kind of went in search of the red legs and I found them. I found them. I came across a very old church, an incredibly old church. And there was a funeral going on. And Caribbean funerals are amazing because they, they're, everyone has to dress in purple and black. So you see this kind of, kind of cloudburst of, 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 of color. And anyway, was, what was interesting was where 90% of the church were black. There were some white or whitish looking people. And we started chatting and these were them. So it was really interesting. And I was just yeah. making the point about assets and how people are sold and all those sort of things. But I, I think people quite like economics when there's a little bit of history or a little bit of other stuff in it than just maths and it, sums. and that sort of, It brings it yeah. alive, I think. I was going to say, it makes it almost easier to palate and easier to understand. Like it's, that, Well, that's nice. Yeah, I mean, because... To be honest with you, if somebody told me before, oh, we're going to talk to an economist, you should have run a mile, you should have run a mile. You know? <laughs> um, but then, kind of, with yourself, you've managed to almost transcend that, and we'll talk a little bit about that as we go, I suppose. But going to the Caribbean and, and all that kind of stuff, when you decided you were going to study economics, oh, wow. did you ever think no, that it would bring no. you to that? Like, No, well, I, I suppose, like a lot of people, I... Uh, I kind of fell into economics because I didn't get the points to do law. I remember that, okay. right? Because that's what all little middle-class boys should do, which is <laughs> law. That's what their mommy tells them to do. And I didn't get the points. And I loved the Leaving Cert so much, I did it twice, actually, to get the points. Uh, here, started, here's and, your brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I said, I'll do that yoke again. And uh, so then the next, I, got, I did the, the course that I kind of got. But, um, in ter- but I've always been e- interested in economics and... It's a, it's a, it's a, it probably stems from something that happened to me when I was a young fellow. My, my dad, we were brought up on, you probably know, do you know Strabrook Road, Windsor Park, around there? Yeah. Around yeah. Premier Dairies, around there. And in Windsor Park. And my dad, in the recession of the late 1970s and early 1980s, he lost his job. And he was the only dad on the road to mm. lose his job. And I was very aware of this, but I was more aware of the fact that he... Um, put on a shirt and tie and went pretended to go out to work because he was so ashamed of this. And when I was, I was 10 or whatever, and I was really aware that there was something not right going yeah. on. And I remember my parents sort of, you remember, you know, when you're a kid, your parents try to hide you from things. But in actual fact, you know what's going on. You know there's something wrong. And you know they're worried about things. And then it kind of struck me as I went into secondary school, I thought, you know, how does this work? How does a really good man be told he's made redundant by somebody else? And I know that it affected him emotionally and psychologically very badly. 
and I don't think he really recovered actually uh, he's dead now good few years but I don't think he really recovered and I, I remember thinking to myself you know wouldn't it be interesting to understand this system and then they said well you know this economics that's what it's all about so in a way I did it in school so I was always quite partial to it but to think that somebody would pay me to go to the Caribbean years later no I never thought that at all I, I always thought it was going to I was kind of terrified of it because I began to study it in Trinity and then for the first two years I was dossing around and then in the third year I said, you know, I'll, I'll get, you know, I, this is stupid. There's no point leaving a university yeah. and not learning anything. And most of my mates were doing that. Most of my mates were just acting the maggot and barely passing. And I remember walking around Trinity one day and thinking to myself, look, here you are. You're in this amazing seat of learning. You're surrounded by loads of incredibly able people. Listen to them and use the library. And for about two years, I really studied economics, the third and fourth year, which is Trinity's four-year degree. And it just kind of clicked after a while. And then I went and did a master's in it. And then I went and I worked as an economist in the central bank, which at the time was like the big job in the bank. My mother was delighted. You know, yeah. she, all her dreams came through. You know, a fellow with a pensionable and permanent job and a suit and everything. And then I left it after about three years and she nearly died. And I <laughs> went to um, work in London. And then I started realizing that it can involve you in very weird and wonderful places. And mm. it's, been, it's been a great, it's been a trip. It's been fantastic. Absolutely. I'd advise anyone to do it, actually. <laughs> no, really, I do, I do. Done, yeah. Well, you've done all right out of it, seems, yeah. yeah. Um, so, four years in Trinity and in straight into the Central Bank. No, then I did a Master's oh, sorry, a in master's. Belgium and that was about two years and then into the Central Bank. So, you spent two years in Belgium as well? Yeah, which I enjoyed uh, tremendously. I loved it. I was in a, in a place yeah. called Bruges. Uh, and it's a beautiful, beautiful town. I've seen the film, yeah. They say uh, the same. In Bruges, yeah, exactly. And I wouldn't, Colin Farrell is wrong. It's actually a very good fun town. He's just dull. He's just, you see, he's a reformed alcoholic. He's a reformed drug. You should have, you should have kept at Messon and then he'd have found Bruges really good fun. You know? But it's, it's a, it's a, it's a great, um, great city and I enjoyed that yeah. a lot. Then I came back and got a job and because um, the degree there was in French and English, um, and, and uh, it was kind of unusual back then for Irish people to to kind of understand foreign languages quite well. So, so of course, there was, a, there was a job going up in the European Department of the Central Bank, and I went back to that. And, I, you know, I met some very nice people, but God, it was so boring. Jesus. Really? Like watching paint dry. The civil service would do your head in completely. Yeah. And I remember after about two years talking to somebody, and I said, I've got to get out of here. I really have to. And people couldn't understand it because I remember I got I got fourteen thousand euro punts. That was mm. my salary, which was a lot. And I had a flat in Temple Bar, and I was in the central bank, and I was on flexi time, which means you could go in at ten o'clock, right? Right. And you were a young fella, swanning around town, buying so pints, the, the having life a laugh, yeah. the life of Riley. But I had something, you know, I thought I was twenty three, and I remember looking at the people who were forty three or fifty three, and I thought, wow, this is not for me. You know, the civil, it's, I mean, it is for some people. Yeah. But I needed to, to move on, so the, I did. This whole thing of the almost became institutional lawyers. Yeah, it, and but, and but at a very, very young age, you know, and yeah. cynical and uh, negative towards other people. And I think you can see how people get stuck in bad jobs and bad institutions and it actually affects their entire emotional yeah. um, well-being. I mean, I've always, you know, I've always liked doing new things and there's one thing about a cer certainly civil service that which, which it was is that new things are not encouraged yeah so then i went to work for a swiss bank ubs and that was really in, really interesting because i got sent all around the world which was brilliant 
and then a French bank, and, and you know, so I did all, all that. And then yeah. about 2000, I came back to Ireland, and I haven't had a proper job since, which is fantastic. <laughs> okay. Well, it's, that kind of comes into the time frame then that you, you started to almost dip your toe into the world of celebrity almost. I mean, at one stage, you were, you were hosting the panel. Yeah, the that was a hoot. That, that was a was total brilliant. laugh. Yeah. yeah, that was great. You know what, I, I just think you should do, you should take, I, 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 like I see with my kids, and I, you know, the only thing I tell them, you know, in terms of, fatherly advice of which they don't listen to anything of course <laughs> they just think I'm a total idiot and uh, is do everything yeah everything that comes along don't be afraid of anything go for it you know and maybe you screw up you screw up who cares you know just you know I remember uh, somebody saying to me you know when you when you get knocked down it's not really the amount of times you get knocked down that's important it's the amount of times you get back up and dust yourself down and say I'm going to go again yeah and that has been something that I don't know where it comes from but it's deep inside me this idea to try and not worry about what what you might do wrong or the risks you might take, yeah. Because you got to live your life, and it's and it's. I, I recently had a very close friend of mine passed away. He got cancer at forty seven. Very good mate of mine. I'm sorry. To uh, died very quickly, mm-hmm. and that reinforces my view that you just take your chances because yeah. God knows what's going to happen to you tomorrow. Yeah, so enjoy it. With enjoy it and do it and take risks and work hard. You know, I always think mm. that, you know, the, the, the key thing to everything is 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 giving your all, you know, not, yeah. not wasting whatever talent God gave you, you know, and, and, and making the most of it. I, you know, and as you get older, you see you have mates who had all the, all the talent and all the everything going from them in, when they were 20, 21. And because of a bad attitude, they kind of never used it. And now yeah. in their 40s, they're all cynical and bitter and twisted and things. So my view is that go for almost everything that presents itself and take your chances. And uh, if that leads you down the road of an economist presenting the panel, well, why not? So be it. <laughs> Brilliant. Like, how did Because the panel was, it was a fantastic TV show. Um, how did that all come I, to be? Like, that, I, that, Well, that, it's a funny thing. Um, I started doing what could be kind of described as stand-up economics, kind of telling yarns to try yeah. and explain. I wrote a book, The Pope's Children, and that was all about how do we explain economics to the world. But, and then I thought, well, try and make it accessible to people. And then what you find is very, very slowly you start telling stories and looking around the world and observing the country and saying, oh, look at that guy eating the breakfast roll, you know. God, I've seen him before. Jesus, there's no one. There's no one. Jesus, they're all over the place. And yeah. then said, breakfast roll man. I haven't coming up with those sort of things. And I suppose it was always moving towards a comedic uh, side. Um, but the, the most important thing to realise on like the panel is that you're not funny. So the comedians are funny and your job is to be the straight man and yeah. be dead straight. And, you know, there were times in which I had to look at the camera and I was just pissing myself inside. But I had to, the whole idea, because you'd have like Neil Delamere sitting beside you and uh, Andrew Maxwell. Yeah. And they're just taking the mickey out of you, out of it, out of everything. And uh, I enjoyed it. But how it came about, I suppose, I've been doing a lot of using comedians to explain economics. Because comedians are very observant. Yeah. Very, well, very observant. Well, like Andrew Maxwell is very sharp well, Max as well. Is great. He's brilliant. Yeah. Max, and he's, he's, he's a huge lover of economics, which is kind of bizarre. <laughs> and um, so I suppose I was... Moving in those, doing doing things live, a lot of live events. We started doing this thing called Leviathan in Town, which was a, a 
a big sort of mad political cabaret that I hosted. Yeah. And there were a lot of comedians in that. And that really kind of led to it. And somebody from RT rang and said, listen, there's a gig here. Do you fancy it? And I thought, yeah, why not? Do it. And it was really, Brilliant. it was, it was, it was, I enjoyed it tremendously. And I, yeah. the interesting thing is what has actually come from that is a festival I do called Kilconomics, Kilconomics which yeah. is economics and stand-up comedy. That's and that was, came at, from Yeah, it was that two years ago. It's absolutely brilliant. It's really good, isn't it's it? It's great well, I'm crack, glad you yeah. enjoyed it. Yeah, it's great fun. It's absolutely, because I'd gone to the cat last before, and when I was down there, yeah. somebody actually said to me, you, know, you should actually come back for Kilconomics. It's a little bit of a different pace, but I guarantee you'll have to crack. And yeah. it was, it was absolutely brilliant. But it's like. interesting you say that, because the, my partner in this is Richard uh, Cook, mm. and the two of us run Kilconomics. And Richard has been running Cat Laughs for 20 years. It was his, his idea for 20 years. So he, he yeah. brings the comedians and I bring the economists yeah. and we just let them go at it. It's, and it works really it well. Does, yeah, it is. And like I look that, at this year like we have the Financial Times as our media. For the, the Financial really? Times came in. Yeah, and we were like, Jesus, where does that come from? <laughs> Honestly, so, that's November every year. November, it, yeah. 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 So, so, so there is a sort of, you know, I know it all sounds, it looks really odd, all these things I've done, but I suppose there is some sort of pattern in them. Not a yeah. very particularly... Uh, direct pattern but um i suppose the idea is danny to try and make economics and, and the place we live in ireland and then even the world uh, a little bit more accessible to uh, people absolutely yeah and i think that's so this is one of the things that as, as i was saying kind of earlier you, you've managed to do you've almost managed to kind of bridge that gap and make economics accessible to the breakfast roll man as you're yeah. saying by bringing in that kind of thing goes to states yeah, I mean the make... ghost estates. Mostly, yeah, like the ghost estates just came out. Of, I was driving from Mayo, from yeah. Enda Kenny's constituency, uh, in about two thousand and six. And I was the reason I was there was really odd, is I I wanted to do research on a company called Allergan, and Allergan makes Botox, and I wanted to do research on how much Botox was being made in Ireland. But right. it really the idea came from reading something in the paper that a Polish lad had got botulism, which can kill you, in Sligo or Mayo. And they brought him to Sligo General Hospital and the nurses didn't know what was wrong with him. And somebody said, that guy's got botulism and they had no antidote. But they said, aha, I know where we get the antidote, which is in Allergan, the factory. Why? Because Botox is a form of botulism, which I thought was amazing. So Botox is actually a form of a very, very contagious disease. And he was brought there... And I remember going to the factory to figure out what they were doing and to put it in a book. And I was driving back. And it's funny, so you go with one idea. Yeah. This is the great thing about doing this for a living. And I was driving back and I kept seeing around Canary Gun, Shannon and all these places. Places I'd never been to. Tulsk and all these odd places. Roscommon and things that I don't know anything about because yeah. I'm from around this neck of the woods. Uh, all these estates, like 100 houses, 30 houses, 20 houses. And I remember thinking, I mean, Nobody's ever going to live here. Yeah. And I, I started writing uh, that article that day for the following Sunday. I was on a Friday afternoon. And I came up with this word, ghost estates. These are like ghosts. There's like ghosts in them. And I drove around, there was nobody in them. And it stuck. And it stuck, yeah. And it because is. people said, Jesus, I, I recognise that. Yeah, yeah. and it, it's the phrase, the go-to phrase now for describing <laughs> these things. You know? like it's, you know, it is odd. Like but all those phrases like Decklanders, you know, that, that again mm. came from my kids when I was writing that, we're making, they're around communion time. Yeah. And my kids, uh, God love them, had uh, this very unfortunate thing happened to them is that their mum uh, is an atheist. 
uh, and happens to be a Protestant atheist from the north. <laughs> so they were uh, not baptized, but they were always brought up as uh, Protestant uh, on the basis of Shan bringing them up. So, of course, this was of no big deal to them until the communion time, when my sis- my daughter came in one day and she looks at her Northern Irish mother in the face and she goes, Mom, I want to be a Catholic. And her East Belfast mother looks and goes, why exactly is this darling? She goes, because they've got better dresses. Because she was seeing all the kids all of, yeah. with the communion dresses and she didn't have one. And that came, from, so I she said, you have to come. In. And we used to go to all the communion sort of thing. And then I noticed all around the suburbs, decking. Everyone had decking. Like yeah. you go to someone's house for the communion party and all the kids would be in, the, in the, the bouncy castle and all the parents. And it don't matter how small the back garden was, there'd be this kind of pristine decking. Yeah. And, that right, yeah. and then, I, then I said, well, how to describe that place? And I thought, Deckland. And then these, so I mean, all these things are just, Danny, just observations. Yeah. Some of them work, some of them don't. I was going to say, they work, the, the other one as well goes with decking actually, and I don't know, it's it's something that um, myself and the lad, Graham, who obviously isn't here at the moment, uh, we were talking about uh, downstairs bathrooms under the stairs. That's another one that a lot of people That's went with. The, yeah, exactly. Where <laughs> it's, it's almost like, oh, the house only has one bathroom. How do we make it? I know. Yeah. Under the stairs. And well, you know, I have a pathological fear of under the stairs because my oh. sisters used to lock me under the stairs when I was a young fella. Ah. When I was a kid, I swear to Jesus, and I still have it. <laughs> know that little cubby hole under the stairs, yeah. right? Okay, which used to be everything the Hoover, football kit, yeah. everything was thrown in there, right? When I, my, I have older sisters, right? And obviously when you have older sisters, they punish the young fella. That's their job, right? And I have a real, really deep fear of the under the stairs <laughs> because my sisters lock me in there for days. Leave me alone, I'll be left. We roar. And my mum my was out at work and my dad was out. And I was like, be... Anyway, sorry, I digress. Oh, I digress. No, not at all. If you're ever in my house, don't worry, I'll let you use the upstairs yeah, bathroom. Thank you, worry. thank you. The downstairs bathroom, it's good. That's a nice one, I like that one. Yeah, it's, everybody has them. It's, that's yeah. the sign of it. But yeah, the decking as well, that's one now um, that, and it's legal stuff if it's wet. It's, oh, tell me about it. I have, I have, crazy, I have uh, seen children with biblical splinters as if they've been on the cross <laughs> with Barabbas for two days like this. I don't know, coming from the, it's, 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 the, it's the run, they want to go to the jacks from the bouncy yeah. castle onto the deck and, in the, and they slide <laughs> and they're ripped, the soles of their feet ripped off. It's awful stuff, yeah, awful yeah. stuff. That but anyway, it's all, it's, all, it's all in the realm of good fun. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I suppose then, going from that then, and almost a change of pace, you have all that, and as you're saying, good fun or whatever, then along comes the reality of these goals, the dates and everything else. Yeah, And yeah. The, the, the big crash, as they say. Yeah, yeah. Like, you you were one of the people, you were, you, you were one of the voices that were kind of saying, this it's coming, it's coming, lads. Yeah, no, I think uh, that's, I think that's got to do really with working for yourself. Mm. I think that... Uh, my dad always told me that a fella's opinion is usually based on who pays his check, right? So who pays his wages? Yeah. And that's not a bad thing. It doesn't mean he's a bad person. But if you were an economist, like I don't know how all the economists in Ireland didn't see this coming. So for me, it was so obvious yeah. that this was going to blow and blow really badly. That This is a massive problem. But, uh, and then I think, you know, Maybe they were working for banks, or they were working for the government, or they were working for institutions that were paid by the government. These think tanks are meant to be independent and yeah. aren't really. Because they can't all be dumb. Like they, they must have seen this coming. 
But it is amazing that none of them saw this coming. And I think what was interesting in Ireland was how people up until the very end were kind of in denial. Mm. And the government was fueling the whole thing because it was earning a huge amount of tax revenue. The banks were fueling it because they were making huge profits. And the management of the banks, their wages were aligned to the profits because they were getting paid in shares. So there was a huge, sort of, as I call it, an aristocracy of incompetence at the very top of, of Irish society. And the interesting thing, the unfortunate thing, Danny, is they're still there. Well, that's... That's yeah. the horrible thing. And I think that that kind of pisses me off. And it, and, and it annoys me because I think that at the end of the day, there should be some link between performance and reward. And if you have made a terrible mess of things, you shouldn't really be rewarded you shouldn't you should be punished or let go or whatever yeah and, and i think what you see is they're all rally around each other it was funny you know um i think when you come out with ideas like the ones i did which said you know the, the country is gonna implode and it's gonna be a disaster and i can see all this and here's all the here's all the warning signs when you come out with ideas that are not consensus in ireland uh what happens is very something very strange is it goes through three phases like the first phase is the kind of open ridicule that you mm. kind of get laughed at. Like I'd go in the late late and be laughed at by total gobshites who didn't know their arse from their elbow. But you'd have to just put up with them because you're on telly. Yeah. And the second phase is kind of violent opposition where, you know, people are really nasty about you and journalists can be counted on to do hatchet jobs and you and all that sort of stuff. And then the third phase is where we are now, which is the everybody pretends they were on your side all the time phase, you know. Yeah. And I think that's, you've just got to, you've just got to have courage of your own convictions. And and if you feel it, go ahead and say it. So when all that was going on, and you had, I mean, the, the Taoiseach of the country who coming out and saying things like people yeah. cribbing. Should, you should, should commit suicide. suicide. Yeah, like, but that's very, it's a very lonely, it's lonely because you're on your own. You know, you yeah. think about it, you know, I work for myself. I don't have any institution behind me. I don't have any bank behind me. I don't have any kind of coterie of civil servants. So you're really on your own. And that's kind of isolating. Yeah, but it kind of makes you strong if you're if you're if you're uh, if you're if you've got my disposition, you yeah. kind of know you're doing your job then. Yeah. And deep down, you say this is okay, this is grand. <laughs> We're hitting the target here, you know. True. I mean, the RAF, you know, they used to say about the flak, you know, the Germans uh, shooting at them. Yeah, and the RAF used to say you only take the flak when you're over the target. So the minute they started kitting back at me, and you said, "Oh, this is okay." Yeah, but sometimes my, my 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 mother didn't like it, and my wife got a bit upset about these things. But you know. Yeah, which I suppose is understandable because especially if kind of you know the attack is everything but being pretty much on your doorstep, you know, then and it's powerful. Yeah, it can. And this is a small country. I was going to say there's not a lot of places for you to go in Ireland. (laughs) Um, But I mean, the the extent of it then is, and I I don't know how much of the stories are true because over time, kind of, I suppose things get um, either kind of exaggerated or like that can get underplayed as well depending mm-hmm. on who's telling it and I know you spoke a little bit about it yourself before but the whole Brian Lenehan oh, situation yeah, yeah. that was I very mean, strange that was really strange it was odd because I'd never I'd spoken to him once yeah. at a Saturday View you know that radio programme on RTE mm. and he said to me and he, he's a really, he was a really nice man and he said to me he said this was at the beginning of September and we were talking for an hour. There was four of us. Richard Bruton, Brian Lennon, me, and Brendan Keenan, who was the group economics editor of the Indo. And they were talking about the trade unions and yada yada. And I said, listen, guys, the Irish banks are going bust. And yeah. they all said, oh, you can't say that. 
you can't say that. I said, they are going to go bust. And we are going to have to come up with a plan to make sure that depositors, small savers, don't lose all their money. And Lenin says, you can't say that. It's very dangerous talk, yada, yada, yada. So afterwards, after he'd said it was all dangerous, whatever, he said, look, he said, um, he said, David, he said, you should, you should come in and advise us. He said, after all, everybody's coming in to advise us. And I said, look, yeah, whatever. And he gave me his number. And uh, and that was grand. And, and, and I gave him my number and that was fine. And I heard nothing from him again. And then I was on prime time about two or three weeks later and it was about a day after Lehman's had gone bust. And the yeah. Irish banks were going bust and yeah. money was flowing out. And they had no plan. And I went on the late, uh, not the late, late prime time and they kept saying, oh, there's no problem. The banks are well capitalized. And I knew that what would actually happen was that people, there'll be a bank run and all people would lose their savings because the rich guys had already got out. Yeah. Because that always happens. The rich guys get out quick. And uh, so Lennon called me and I, I said, like, I said, uh, he said, you're writing about this today. And I said, yeah, or, uh, during, uh, on Sunday. And he said, where do you live? And I said, Kalini. And he said, uh, okay. And this was about eight o'clock at night. And he said, I'll see you later. And I thought, really? And about 10 o'clock, he turned up at the door and he came in and I it's kind of weird because I've never had a politician let alone a minister in my house <laughs> yeah. before and uh, so he came in and he sat down and like he was a really a decent guy and I just looked at these huge bags under his eyes he was, looked wrecked and I felt really sorry for him I felt like saying yeah. this is a guy under massive pressure and I thought you know this is like me having the job of attorney general and there's a constitutional crisis and I haven't a clue because I'm I'm not a lawyer. Yeah, yeah. And I could see he wasn't, he was, he also thought he was being lied to by the banks. And it was a very, very unusual period. But for me, it was a culmination of exactly what I thought would happen. Whereas all these people who pretended they knew actually had no rashers. Yeah. And that really was terrifying. Uh, because I just thought, it's true. They really don't have a clue. The Minister of Finance hasn't a clue what is going on. Mm. Hasn't a clue what to do. Has got a menu of options. He's not too sure which one to take. He thinks he's been lied to by civil servants. They think they've been lied to by the banks. They're all trying to preserve their reputation. They're all trying to preserve their credibility. Yeah. And all the while, money is flown out of the country and the banks are going to go bust. It was amazing. It was a very, very surreal experience. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, like, the, the, I'm even trying to think of how as you said, he was the Minister for Finance at a time where the, the shit was hitting the fans yeah. big time. Um, to have, him, and at the, like, I mean, Fianna Fáil were probably the most popular government ever going, at but the time been, they were elected. They'd been voted three times in, you know, so yeah. they, were, they, were not, they were not rookies, they'd been in power. So you know, so that, but it kind of, I, the, the whole reason that I had been warning of all this for five or six years before this, I knew it would come to something crazy like this. Yeah. Where the banks would go bust overnight. And the state would have to do something. You know, the the idea that the state could have done nothing. And I remember saying that to Lennon. And I said, what did you guys think was going to happen? And he said, how do you mean? I said, you were bullshitting the nation for years. What did you think? And I got, I got a bit pissed off with them actually in that meeting. Yeah. I said, like, what did you think was going to happen? I said... You've waited and waited and waited and waited and all the time you laughed at people like me four or five years ago when you could have done something. 
now you're here. I actually said to him, I said, you're 10 years too late when he came to the door. But now you're here. What are you going to do? And uh, there, was a, there was a number of options. And I said, listen, you've got to, if you don't stop the outflow of money, if you don't do something really dramatic, yeah. stop the outflow of money, you will end up with no banks and no deposits and all people's savings. Billions, 90 billion disappeared. And uh, he said, well, we could merge these. And I said, well, no, we can't because they, they're all bust. So I said, look, you've got to introduce. And he was saying, well, what have we got this thing, this the guarantee here, a guarantee? And I said, well, you've got to introduce that on a temporary basis because you've got to stop the flow of money. Yeah. And the interesting thing is it did. I mean, had they done it for a year or two, it would have worked. But the crazy thing is they put the guarantee in place and then they just, they said, this is the policy from here on in. And the interesting thing is I never actually, I saw Brian Lennon once after that. Yeah. And I never saw him again. So what was kind of a bit annoying is that rather than say, okay, David, let's work together on this. They kind of took a little bit and said, okay, that's great. And then off they went. And all their advisors got into a huddle and advised. I mean, I don't know what they, as I said to Lennon, I went to China the following week and he rang me and I said to him, I actually, I said, what the fuck are your advisors doing? Yeah. You've got people paid a hundred grand, 150 grand. They're sitting there. What are you ringing me in China for when you have all those people there? But that's how this country is run. It's, that's alarming. I, I didn't know about the whole phone call in China thing. I'm not sure how many people would know about that. Yeah, but no, that's no, no, I, no. This is like I, I, we, I, this is all I, I did the, at the banking inquiry. I told, yeah. uh, and uh, John Gormley rang me, and I said the same to him. I said, "Look, what, what are you asking me for? I'm, I'm here." Yeah. Like it's, I'm not even in the same continent, not, not even the same country, you know. It, it is, it's, it's alarming, but I suppose the flip side of that is then people are looking at things now and they're saying rent prices going up and up, saying property prices going up and up again. Are we heading for something similar? Is I it? think, Danny, that I think the key here is that this is all about class, all okay. this, right? I've always thought this, that basically you have a land-owning class, Okay. The land-owning class are enormously powerful and their interests are always protected. And you see this now and you saw that in the bailout and you saw that during the, the boom. And as long as we don't admit that to ourselves, we'll always get things wrong. So here you have a crazy situation where, for example, I'm writing tomorrow in the Indo about council houses, right? Mm. Okay. When I was a kid growing up in Monkstown, there was Windsor Park, Ashton Park, and Richmond Park. They were here. And they were three-bed semi-detached estates, right? And then there was Dunedin, then there was Monkstown Farm, Rockford Park, and Rory O'Connor Park, right? And we were all living right beside each other, yeah. okay? The people in Rockford, Monkstown Farm, Rory O'Connor Park were all living in council houses, which were probably the same size, a little bit smaller than the houses we were brought up the only difference was my mum and dad paid 1,100 quid for that house in 1960 and the people in the council house were paying rent, okay? But there was no homelessness. Yeah. There was no crisis. There was no homeless crisis in Dunleary when I was a kid, right? Whatever happened, then there was richer people down around Monkstown and whatever, but I mean, the vast majority of people that I knew lived in three-bed semi-estates which were with hundreds of houses, 
are in corporation states. That's yeah. it, right? At some stage in the 80s or 90s, we decided we were not going to build corporation states anymore. Right? So I think the BRAC was the last big... Possibly, yeah. I think, in around yeah. Dunleary, I think. Yeah, I, um, I think Laurel Avenue was definitely one of them. That's where I grew up before moving to Cromlock Fields. Um, I'm trying to think then there was a couple of, like, Cush Cairn, but that was only 30 houses or so. Yeah, or was like, it was, there weren't that many at all. There was know? no there was large a scale. In, there was a couple of ones in Shankill, because I yeah. went to Johnstown National School. So okay. when you go to JT, as it's now called, you'd see I've been, you know, been building at Watson's and Johnstown and the Brack and yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, my point is, there wasn't a housing crisis then because the state built corporation houses yeah. and said, okay, here's a, here's a waiting list, here's the thing, and most people got housed eventually, right? That's what we have to do again. But if you do that, you take the power away from the landlord class yeah. and you actually invest it back into the people who live there. So I think what you're seeing is a sort of a class war is too extreme for it because then I'll end up sounding like Richie Boy Barrett, but I mean, <laughs> who I like a lot. Uh, and I've known Richie for a long time. Yeah. Um, but I, he, he, he was on the podcast before and he said something similar, actually, in fairness. So, yeah, he's, a, he's, he's a good skin. We've known each other a long, long time. Yeah. Uh, he was a punk and I wasn't allowed to be one. But I always <laughs> wanted to be but my My dad wouldn't allow me to be one. He won't be hanging around with those young fellas. So, um, but I do think we should build what this state has always built, right. which is council houses. Yeah, I mean... I can't understand why not. It certainly seems like a simple solution. <laughs> like... I, I don't I don't know. I, I, I did it in this Indo article. Mm. I calculated that this state can borrow at less than 1% at the moment. And I talked to a friend of mine, another fellow from Monkstown Farm, who's a builder, and a guy called David Kelly. You probably get very upset. Who's actually his brother was a very fine footballer. And uh, I said to him, how much should you build a house for? And he said, okay, well, Michael, it's about 100 quid a square foot. If you're having an extension. But if you're building houses, you'd probably get it from about 70 quid a square foot. So I said, fair enough. And I said, so how much is a typical Windsor Park house? And he said, ah, it's probably about 1,300 square foot. So you can build them for about 110 grand. So I said, 110 grand, that's, that's what, so 50,000 of them. Okay, that'll cost you 5 billion. I said, okay, fine. And the government could borrow 5 billion tomorrow and pay an interest rate of about a little below 1%. So the interest bill every year would be 50 million. And if you divide that by the 50,000 houses, what it means is that the average rent in these new council houses would only be less than a grand a month. A month, not a week, a month. So you could do it. Definitely, yeah. It could be done. So, you know, it takes political will. Mm. And I can't understand why Irish politicians don't see that there's a solution here and of course if the state builds council houses it gives wages to people who build the houses and you know there's a there's a huge positive knock-on effect yeah it, it does seem like a it's very strange isn't it? yeah like a, again like i'm by no means at all an expert but i'm looking at it and going yeah okay and I, I mean obviously the land is there there's enough being rezoned and that i mean cherry Cherry, i was gonna say cherry like cherry full of them yeah. and all kiltiernan's full of them and in the centre of town, there's loads of space. All, all on the inside of the M50, there's loads of space. Yeah, loads anywhere of space. around the M50, there's plenty of fields there. Like and build up. That's the other side. I was going to say, a lot of countries tend to build up. We like to build out, which but is where you get these crazy commuter belts. Like, which yeah, but is why not build up, you know? I mean, uh, there's a bad experience with high-rise flats from the 1960s. The but you don't, Tower, yeah, but you don't have to make those mistakes again. 
Yeah. You know, you can you can build much higher quality stuff and mix stuff and all that sort of stuff. But the point is housing your population is not beyond the wit of most societies and it shouldn't be beyond ours, particularly as, you know, a disproportionate amount of Irish labour is involved in the building industry. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like there's loads of tradesmen here and labourers and whatever. So we're good at that stuff. We've built half of England. We still do. You know, like that's what we do. It's true. Yeah. That's we've sent them off for long enough anyway. Yeah. Sure, half of them are still in Australia at this stage. I know, exactly. Um so I suppose so things aren't all bad then. No, no, I, look, I I'm a very optimistic about Ireland. Yeah. I, I think that uh there's things we can fix, like the housing market we can fix that. This society is a much better society than the place I grew up in. And that society was a better society than the place my parents grew up in. And I think my children will have a better life than I will. And I, I think it's a more relaxed place. I think it's a more chilled out place. I think people are fulfilling themselves. Some people a lot more. I think you'd be really... If you were to only go by politics, yeah. you'd think the place is a basket case. Well, at the moment you would. You would, wouldn't you? Yeah, but I, I don't think it is. I don't get that feeling that deep down there's a huge amount wrong with this country that can't be fixed. Mm. That's my point. This was rather the right people are there to actually fix yeah, it. Yeah, and that? just the right attitude at the top. You know? Yeah. And I mean, the, you know, the country needs to be more equal. There's no doubt of that. Inequality is wrong. It is pervasive. It can be a disaster for kids if they feel left out, feel they don't have a stake in society. Yeah. But we can fix all these things. I really think so. No, and it's, it's refreshing to hear that as well because we do hear an awful kind of oh it's an awful kip oh, it's not a kip you know? that now you know but um, no you're dead right it's not a kip at all like, and I mean, it's I, like, you know I even though I travel a lot I, I I see when you travel you see hold on a second mm. there's a lot to be proud of like my grandmother if you think about it and I'm sure people listen to this podcast will feel the same my granny actually went to school with no shoes on yeah Check that that actually happened. That's yeah. my granny. It's not that long ago, really. Yeah. Right? So how can... She went to school with no shoes. And then you see this progression through the family. And it's all getting better. Yeah. You know, not, not in leaps and bounds, but it's getting progressively better. So I would think that we should be much less um, negative. Mm. That doesn't mean you shouldn't be analytical. And oh, highlight yeah, issues that means, you can yeah. change, but but definitely this is this country is is not a not a not half as bad a place as some people make it out to be. Yeah, I have to say, for me, I'm a little bit of in a privileged position in the sense that my girlfriend um, originally came from Russia. She's lived here since about seven, but I've seen photos. Look at you! Of the village. <laughs> I always have photos. Exactly. <laughs> I've seen um, photos of the village, and it it's just picked straight up out of Stalin times, you know. And I'm kind of going, it could be worse. Could, yeah. be, could be little old Sosnovka, you know what I mean? Yeah, That's well, uh, you know, I mean, and I bet you if you talk to her, well, she probably has no memory of it, but mm. her family are still there, I presume. Her grandparents and her uncle are still there, yeah. Her parents uh, both are over here, and they have been since, I think, about 96, 97, thereabouts. They came over, like... Yeah, but still, um, I mean, there's, there's, there's you know, you, you take a long look at those places, you know, and, yeah. and you realise that Ireland, Britain, this part of the world, you know, it's not bad. It's probably it's the best place. It's probably... Yeah. Being born in northwestern Europe in our generation is probably the best place that the average guy has ever been born, ever, that has lived mm. on this planet. No, absolutely, yeah. I, actually, the, the last chapter of this podcast that we just done 
was kind of our Patrick's Day special. And yeah. we were actually talking about things that we love about Ireland. And like that, again, it kind of it started off a little bit slow. It was almost like we were reluctant to kind of. Yeah, but then we like moaning. Exactly. Yeah, we do. We love a bit of a grudgery, like. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. then we started to come out of our shells a bit and kind of realize, you know what? This it might be a little rainy rock at times, but look beyond yeah. that and imagine living in a non-rainy rock. <laughs> I'm serious. The rain is, is fine. I mean, it's you know all those things that we look at the window. God, Jesus, right? Yeah. Um. But can you imagine not having any water? Imagine not having this type of humid climate. Not this kind of Climate that has a, you know, it's kind of a general dour feeling to it. But it doesn't get too hot. doesn't get too cold. Yeah. I mean, I've just come from a place which is just too hot. Trinidad. Yeah. You know? And then you go up to the Arctic of Russia, it's too cold. And I think that in the future, like if you look at these bottles of water we have here, mm. you know, this is the new oil. You know, the world is running out of water and we have loads of it. Yeah. You know? And off the coast of Ireland, there's loads and loads of fish, which is which is probably going to be the new... Uh, Probably the new food for the next two or three uh, centuries if we don't overfish it. Yeah. So, I mean, I think we have a lot going for each other. The society is reasonably stable. You know, your chances of getting mugged on the street are reasonably low. Kids can swanny around. I know my kids get the dark, get the bus around. They're down on Leary. They ring saying, oh, I walk home. You know what I mean, that's, as yeah. teenagers, that's very free. You go to parts of Latin America, you go to parts of, of uh, even certain parts of London, kids yeah. aren't allowed to do that. I wouldn't be allowed to do that. So, I think they're growing up, you know, and uh, my daughter was on the bus the other day on the 7 and she's talking about seeing this and she's kind of saying half things to shock me on those lads drinking on the bus and yeah, yeah, yeah. But you can see she's mixing. She's growing up and she's she's seeing that the world isn't all about, you know, little girls going to St. Andrew's College. There's a whole world out there, but she's not protected from it. Mm. And that's important. And I think we mix a lot more in Ireland than we than other countries do. And those societies seeing the do. things that are out there, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. The exposure to it, yeah. And I suppose as well, on top of that, and this comes to cheap plug, but, you know, other parts of the world as well, they don't have lovely little things like the Docky Book Festival to look oh, forward to. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> this is a great plug. Well, yeah. I mean, this is a great... This is a mad thing. That this is. Remember I started at the top, I said, you know, do everything. Yeah. And uh, this, is an, this is an idea that my missus and I, after probably too much wine one night, came up with. It's her idea. Some actually. of the best ideas come at that Exactly. Stage. Late at night, <laughs> kids are in bed. She's like, Give us another bottle of that. Come on. She says, no, 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 no. Just be fine. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. I get up in the I I get up in the morning with them. Um, and she said to me, and she's she's from the north, and they're kind of different people, northerners, you know. Yeah. And we're chatting about wouldn't that be great? And I was doing the typical southern thing. Wouldn't it be great? And yeah, yeah, right, fine. And you go to bed and you forget about it. And she said, no, no, let's do it. And we started uh, six years ago. Uh, in 2010 yeah and we sold 700 tickets and last year we sold 10,000 wow so it's just grown I was gonna say that's, it's huge yeah. and it's really really taken off and we've got I, we've amazing guests this year but I can't announce them because they're all I tell you putting these things together is an exercise in you have to be patient you have to be charming you have to be flattering you have to spoof that you've got <laughs> people in you did the Bob Geldof remember Bob Geldof at Live Aid said to Mick Jagger Mick I've got David Bowie, you got to play. Yeah, and he said, David Bowie, you got Mick, and he had neither <laughs> of them, and they both came, you know? So uh, I think that um, it's grown, and, and the, the town is great, and people have got behind us. Yeah. Uh, probably might, like, it's interesting, my dad is from, uh, and my grandparents, my grandparents, my father's parents, uh, came to Dorky from Scotland in the 19... They were actually, it's funny, 
They came in around 1916. They were the only people to emigrate into Ireland when everyone was going the other way. We, so we've always been contrarian people, you know. And uh, so, you know, I'm very steeped. Uh, my, 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 my father's parents came with their cousins and we've through the three sets of our families. There's the Nicholsons, the Friels, and the McWilliamses, and we're all from just down here, down yeah. the town, down down the main street actually, and uh, in around the bus lawn and all these places. And uh, so we've got uh, a big family of us down in Dorky, and well, we're all over Dunleary now. Yeah, we haven't really gone very far. It's pretty funny. <laughs> we've migrated from Glasstool to Dunleary, and <laughs> there's a Dorky and things, but it, it has worked really well, and it's great, and it's I love sometimes uh, just when it's on and there's thousands of people in the town and the place is buzzing, just kind of thinking, wow, wow, we did this. Yeah. And it's great. It's a really good thing. It's the 16th of June. It's been opened by the president this year. So that's fantastic. Nice. It's kind of recognition as well, which is great. Well, sorry, and yeah. he's great. You know, Michael D, I've, I, I've met him a few times and you know, he's into poetry and literature. And he's a big books. supporter of the arts. Huge. Yeah, huge yeah. But a bigger supporter of the Republic of Ireland soccer team, which is also at the same time. <laughs> so we are competing, as I said to Sean, or doesn't get the football thing at all. We're going to be the only book festival yeah. in the whole world, which is very highbrow, that'll have a football break, okay? <laughs> from On the Saturday from half past two, because we're kicking off at three o'clock against yeah. Belgium on the 18th of June to six o'clock. There's no books. There's only ball. But That's the it. fact that you've built that in, though, and there's enough nice establishments in Docky exactly, that there's exactly. big screens and I there's would, plenty of Do you know what phone? I'd love to do? Do you know what they do in Germany? Yeah. In Germany, they have big screens outside. In the square, in, in the, the squares, square. yeah, public be great to yeah. Do that? That's I was, I was over at the Rugby World Cup um, last year, September last year, and these fan zones with huge screens. Did they do that in England? Did they? They did, and, and it, it worked really well. Absolutely it? amazing. For one of the games, the games in Cardiff, um, the Millennium Stadium just next door to that is the Cardiff Arms Park. It's much smaller, well, not much smaller, but but actually compared to the Millennium Stadium, it is. But compared to Irish standards, it's, it's a big, stadium. A big stadium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. they were using that as a fan zone, and it was packed. And See, like, that's great. When I was there, I was kind of saying, why don't, because major tournaments, when Ireland gets something, everyone turns everybody, t- exactly. I was trying to explain this to my wife. She doesn't really get it. I said, listen, I said, the Irish football team is the least talented but best loved team. 100%. In the championship, right? Yeah. And for, we might even fluke it. You never know, <laughs> right? You never know. So I was trying to explain to her, but she now has seen it since we've lived, she's been living down here for 15, yeah. 16 years. But, uh, you know, I'd tell her that, I'd said, you know, the most highbrow writer, your John Banville, your Booker Prize winner, I said, I can guarantee you he will be roaring at a screen in a boozer, right? <laughs> I swear to God, he will be roaring at a screen, right? And I said, you have to understand that the, the football team just merges into one collective. If 1960 included on football, We'd have been much more independent, say, yeah. much quicker, you know, but no rouse. We probably would have took some places over as well. Exactly. <laughs> you know, so I was trying to say, but I mean, so we'd be the only book festival with a football break. And I was trying to, we've got a very big guy coming in from the States. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, but sure. You know, I go Saturday afternoon, you know, peak time. I said, no. I said, not a sinner will turn up. I said, don't get me wrong. We think you're fab. But not a sinner will turn up. Yeah, and so I was trying to explain that to people might be, well, no, that's, that's great. I'm sure people will be delighted to know as well that, you know, we can check all that out and the match. That's yeah, got to get the yeah. match. And uh, I've said, to, I've, I've said to all the publicans down below, I said, open your doors. To yeah. the, it'll be great. It'll be great. But I would love to put a big screen 
But, you know, the big fear in Ireland is, and, you know, the other unfortunate things, people get gargled and it kicks off and then suddenly yeah. that couple of shapers come in and you're, you know, you're in a totally different zone. I was going to say, we're always kind of just that one or two away from, I know, lads, come on. You I know, know here. Yeah. yeah Do you know, and, it, and it is a shame. Like, I, 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 I drove through Germany during one of the World Cups a couple of years ago and every town had these um, yeah. big screens and free beer put on by the, the town hall. Imagine that working over here. <laughs> <laughs> Drink responsibly yeah. and all yeah, that, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. So, so, but anyway, it's all, it's all going to, the book festival is, is, is flying, so it's great. Yeah, no, it is. It's a brilliant thing. And again, because we like to sort of talk about the burr on this podcast. So the fact that it's on our doorstep as well. Yeah, but the burr is a great, the burr is a great place. Absolutely, and yeah. I've uh, always felt that, you know, I have a good mate from Dunleary who swears that this is the California of Europe, right? And he makes the point that it's, it's a point well made that when we were kids in the 80s, so we're older than you lot, much older than you lot, um, you know, this was a liberal place. It was pro-divorce, it voted pro-abortion, fellas were smoking spliffs, it was more chilled. It seemed to me to be a more tolerant place. And it's interesting. Then I remember going to Trinity College, which... I would have thought was the epicenter of tolerance mm. because that was the brand it had, the image it has. But not at all. They were very kind of conservative, stuck-up people. And I think people from around here, I really do believe it, are much more socially mixed and much more likely to mix together than people from other parts of South Dublin. I've always felt this, mm. you know. Um, and I think that's because there's a huge local population here, a huge local population and maybe it was always a little bit different. But I, I, I've, I've always liked living around here. And I'm, I love, I've always loved walking around Dunleary. Yeah. Particularly, the, you know, down the seafront of Dunleary. And uh, the problem with Dunleary is, you know, the Georgia Street is such a mess. But it'll change. It has to change. Absolutely, yeah. And it's a lovely town. And Dalkey's lovely and Sandy Cove. You know, and you're on the sea and there's a real sense that it's a special, I think it's a special part of Ireland. Yeah. You know, let alone, and it's interesting, we don't get many tourists. Have you noticed that? It's, we were only talking about this um, a couple of chapters ago, and it's one of those things that we find kind of bizarre in the sense that, as you've just described, and especially if the sun is shining, it's amazing. that walk along the seafront, down by the harbour, down past Teddy's Ice Cream, towards Sandy Cove and that. It's beautiful. It's it's unbelievable. And it is kind of, you'd, you'd struggle to find it elsewhere. No, like every morning I uh, go for a walk, we've got a, a hound, and the hound <laughs> has to be walked. <laughs> At eight o'clock, before just before eight o'clock, I dropped the kids at the dart at about half seven, quarter to eight. Yeah. Up 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 Kalani Hill. And it's magnificent. There's nobody yeah. me and maybe four or five other head cases in the <laughs> middle of winter in the lashing rain. But it is amazing and, and when the sun comes up and all the different colours and uh, you know, because it rises straight out of the sea. You know, it's right there in the east yeah. and it's beautiful and, and in the winter it's this big red ball and this throws extraordinary shadows all over you see Wicklow and the Sugarloaf and all that sort of stuff. And I, I've always thought to myself, you know, this is a beautiful place and nobody comes here. Yeah, we're, you've hit a nail on the head in the sense that we're very lucky to be in that kind of ideal location of, to one side we have the Rowland Hills, you've got Wicklow and that, yeah. that beautiful scenery, the Garden of Ireland and all yeah, that. Yeah. To the other side of us then, we have that beautiful sunrise, yeah. amazing. And, the, and the, the place is full of head cases. Which is fantastic. <laughs> Absolutely. Head the balls. <laughs> exactly. You know, you know it's, it's always what I always say to people as well. I'm like, you know what? It's worth getting on a dart, going on that little bit along the cliff, yeah, getting off really a cloiny, 
that walk up by Bono's house is a bit of a bitch. The hill is nasty. Yeah, 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 yeah. You but get now, the, Danny, you're, you'll be running up that very oh, soon. Right, yeah. so here's hoping if Lindsay Doyle has nothing to do with it, I will. Yeah, yeah, but you can get Lindsay to do for me. I'll do a bit of cage <laughs> fighting. The cage fighting economist. You know? <laughs> I'll have to be getting a few Connor tats. Yeah. <laughs> a joint grill on the chest, yeah, I think, would work well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that would be my new thing, could you imagine? <laughs> Exactly. How would the wife react to that? I think I she would just think then she'd think you're having an affair. Yeah. Exactly. You're having a midlife crisis. <laughs> but, um, oh, it is. It's worth it. Get off the Dart Cloney, walk up that hill, get to the top no. of the Vico Road and that, and just but look the out. is a great place. And, and, and I've always. Uh, it's funny, you know, because cause I, I don't really know. I mean, I know lots of rest the rest of Dublin, and, and a lot of friends of mine live in Ranala and Rathmines and places like that, but mm. I don't kind of get them in the same way as I yeah. get this part of the world. And, uh, and you know, the, the book festival is kind of a celebration of this neck of the woods. And you'd be amazed. Like, if you think, you know, who's from here? Who's, who, who was living here? Well, James Joyce was down there in the tower. Beckett, Shaw. These are people who lived here. These are yeah. Nobel Prize winners who lived in this part of the world, you know. And it's you kind of forget that, that it's yeah. actually spawned loads of literature if you look at the amount of good journalists mm. novelists now you know and like someone like Paul a mutual friend of Paul ours Howard, Howard, absolute who gent. just takes South Dublin ah. and destroys it <laughs> but in the nicest possible <laughs> I was way say, in the best way imaginable but as you, you yeah. touched on it brilliantly there I mean you've got Paul Howard and you've got Tim Pat Coogan great yeah, historian Joe you know. Connor and yeah, you know um, it's, a, it's amazing you know uh, Victor O'Reilly he doesn't live in this area anymore but Victor O'Reilly best selling author on yeah. the New York Times and everything that's all a that wealth stuff. of it here there is you know? so there is there is something uh, either it's fortuitous I think it is kind of fortuitous but I think it's a lovely part of the world and I wouldn't live anywhere else in Dublin. I yeah. wouldn't live anywhere else in Ireland, actually. It has a magnetism, I think, because once it gets that little hub, other people kind of yeah. look at it. Not everyone What's loves it now. Not really? everyone loves it. No, but I, I, I like it. But I mean, <laughs> I, I can understand that uh, I think a lot of people who are slightly more cloistered mm. can find it a little bit, uh, certainly around Dunleary, more edgy than they, uh, than they really bargained for. Yeah, yeah. You know? Well, Look, I'd, I'd agree with you. To me, it is. It's and it's coming out of paparazzi's ten years ago, late at night, and that's a different story. It's paparazzi's and Nemo's, yeah. Do you remember wow. them? <laughs> <laughs> the it's real Dunleary, the fur yeah. at its finest. Well, actually, to be honest with you, it's more of a Bondi person. It's the Ooh, organ. But yeah, <laughs> that shows that shows your age for your young fella. Yeah. <laughs> well, paparazzi's, oh my God, yeah. Yeah, no, and I there was that predates. There was a great place called Ziggy's. Which was up uh, in Baker's Corner, where you would not. Yeah, uh, well, my parents have, have often Ziggy's. mentioned Ziggy's. Oh, yeah. shocking place. Yeah. Shocking. The killings. <laughs> <laughs> the killing fields that's, of Baker's Corner. That's they've often kind of said, like, Ziggy's is where you'd want to go if you wanted to have a laugh, but also see a murder. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was yeah. one of them, like, so, but, uh, yeah, Jesus, there's no Yeah, that was before people. cage fighting was invented. Exactly. <laughs> that was the origins. <laughs> the origins of the species. Um, look, David, we're, we're just about out of time. That's but I, I not say, at all. Is it? Man, thank you so much. Really enjoyed that. Um, just one last time. The, the book festival is it's June. It's the 16th of June to the 19th of June. And we'll be going out with the programme probably the 1st of May. We've got a couple of people yeah. to put together. 
and we prefer to see the white of the eyes. Most festivals go early. We always go late. <laughs> I don't know why, but it's just the, An- it's the way we do things. Anticipation <laughs> builds, doesn't it? Exactly. Yeah. And then people say, Jesus, I'm going to go to that. <laughs> and it's dockybookfestival.org. Dot org. Dot org. Dot org. Dot org. Yeah. And then if they're planning later into the year, of course. Kilkenomics.com, which, yeah. uh, which is, I really urge you, you know, if you're into this sort of carry on, Come down. Kilkenny's amazing. It's, say, it's a great, great city to city. just walk around. It is Beautiful brilliant city. to just walk around. But when you have something like that going on as well, the crack is absolutely No, the crack brilliant. is great. So listen, by all means, come on down. Brilliant. And if people want to follow yourself on Twitter, it's at Dave McWilliams. Oh, at David McW. Dave McW, sorry. Yeah, and, uh, and I'm very active on Twitter. I, I like using it a lot. Absolutely, yeah. And in davidmcwilliams.com dot, to follow. Dot IE. Oh, dot IE. IE. Yeah, we don't everything come, wrong here. I'm telling you, <laughs> don't worry. It's all calm. It doesn't matter. Just put it to Google. Yeah. See, there's your exactly. man. Google there's fix your man with the big red head. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably what it is. I just type into Google and Google finishes yeah. it for me. Oh, yeah. So look, like, I'm, I'm lazy there, like you as well. Um, but that's great, Danny. Listen, it was a pleasure. No, look, thanks so much, man. Really appreciate the time. No, and so. all the best with the festivals later on in the year. Cool. And listen, you know, we might do a podcast from you lot from the festival. Did you fancy it? Here, yeah, listen, we'd love to do it. would be an amazing experience to do down there. And I'm sure that the people will have, I mean... You give me, send me an email and we'll yeah. sort something out. Because you can organise this carry-on anywhere, can't you? Completely portable. Everything's good to go. Okay. Well, that's what we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll do that. We'll have a talk about it. Brilliant. Exactly. Okay. David Cheers, Williams, thanks very much. Not at all. Pleasure. So there you have it. That was my chat with Dave McWilliams. Um, as a top bloke. Really good guy. And some really good points. You can check out his articles as well in The Independent. He had a really good one this week on. A little bit about what he discussed on this podcast. About the uh, housing crisis and how he can solve it. That was in, I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday's in though. If you follow him on Twitter as well, he does put out some great content as well all the time. Does, yeah. yeah, so that's where I'd, I would always read his stuff on, on his Twitter. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, Doggy Book Festival's coming up. Make sure to check that out. And Kilkenomics in November, which is a fantastic festival as well. Really, really enjoyed that. He's a, he's a brilliant bloke. Um, and thanks to Paul Howard, who was instrumental in... Getting another guest for us. Yeah, he's, he's great. I love Paul. Great guy. Oh, Paul. Um, Breaking Dad is currently running in the Gaiety Theatre. Yeah, one week left. So if you haven't gone along to it and you're looking for something to do this week, go. It's a great crack altogether, so it is. Uh, Lindsay Doyle of this podcast fame gives it the two thumbs up. Yeah. She went to see it and she said it was absolutely, she couldn't breathe with the laughter. <laughs> so uh, make sure you head along and check out Breaking Dad as well. And check out DaveMcWilliams.ie. We've got, we've got a great guest coming up next week. Looking forward to that one. Yeah. That it'll, one. it'll be an adventure. Hey, I like what you did there. <laughs> that gave people a little clue. I'll tell you, it'll have us climbing the iTunes charts. <laughs> oh. um, won't give too much away. We'll do our usual guest announcement. Seek your altitude after all that hey. back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I tell you, mm. else. Um, we will do our usual reveal to guest during the week. But a uh, couple of hints there through cheesy puns. <laughs> Great crack altogether. Um, you can check us out at WTSPod on Twitter. Uh, Facebook.com forward slash WTSPod Ireland. He's at American Mania. Everywhere. And anywhere. I'm at Dan Joe Murray. Um, iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Podcast Addict, Podcast Republic. Anywhere and everywhere there's a podcast at WTSPod. Rate, review, subscribe. Let us know what you think. If you like it, tell a friend. If you don't, tell us. Spread the word. Yeah, do. And check out FitzpatrickScastle.com. Pop up to the lads here. Tell them we sent you. Great bunch of people. Graham, I'm only fifth in my bed. Same.
I'm glad you're better though. I'm. It feels great to be better. Can't I'm wait to go back to work. <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. <laughs> I'm. Uh, I'm glad you survived man flu. Must be been quite a scare. Just about. Um. Thank. Thank God, modern medicine can overcome such an illness, huh? Yeah. I wonder, I wonder if anyone knows what's the best remedy for man flu. I. The quickest remedy. I personally speaking, mine. I lash atrophine and see what it fed into me. I lash tyrosets into me and just. Drink, 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 drink. Water? Uh, water and lemsips. Yeah. I know they say you probably shouldn't take this and this together, but I ignore that. It's my life. And I didn't want to consume that because my trap was killing me. Like, and oh. That's why, uh, you get, that's why you get toilet zets. Yeah. Toilet zets. Gen- I didn't know about toilet zets till after I was finished and I was on those bloody oh, frosties. They, they, basically, they basically numb your throat. It's ridiculous. But there you go. Uh, if you have a man flu cure, let us know so that when, <laughs> yeah. when Graham gets sick again, we can stop him moaning. <laughs> get him all the gear. Whinging. He's like, we'll probably get it three times before you will again anyway. <laughs> like you always do. Of the immune system of a gnat. <laughs> um, but anyway, look, that's it for us for this week. A big thanks to Dave McWilliams and Paul Howard again for setting it up. Uh, make sure you check out all those things that we mentioned. But look, until next week, Graham. Good night and God bless. Adios. <laughs>